standing in my kitchen, I'll, I'll never forget this moment, like I'm, I was chopping tomatoes. And my phone rang and I saw that it was from my doctor and I picked it up and she said, Crystal, are you sitting down? And I was like, um, I can be. And she's like, yeah, sit down. And I sat down. And she's like, I ran your blood work and your white blood cell count is almost 11 times higher than the highest level in the normal range. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> like, she goes, yeah, I'm, I'm really, really sorry. Um, I hate to be the one to tell you this, but you, you definitely have leukemia. And I just remember talking to God and just being like, I, I can't do leukemia. This can't be the way that my story ends. And I remember crying as I was like washing dishes and I was just like, God, like my husband, I don't want him to be a widower. I don't, I'm not ready to be done being a wife. Like we have so many years to live. And I remember God just really gently whispering, am I big enough for your husband? And I remember thinking, okay, yeah, you're big enough for my husband. And then it was like, but God, my kids, this is not the story that I wanted for them. I don't want them to grow up without a mama. I want to walk my daughter down the aisle. I want to see them graduate. I want to see them hold their first babies. I have all of these dreams for my kids. And God whispered to my heart, am I big enough for your kids? I was like, yeah, yeah, you are. And I had to just let it all go. And I felt like I took every piece of my identity and just laid it back at the cross and just let it go. And going and, and meeting with the oncologist and uh, she came in and she held my hand and she looked at me and she said, it's gonna be okay. And I was doing really good holding it together until she looked at me and she said, this will not take you away from your babies. I just lost it. And my life changed in what I could eat and what I could do. A lot of the things that I did before I can't do anymore. Um, there's been a lot of times where I've come to God in tears because it's just not fair. And it doesn't feel fair. Why me? Why? Why am I the one? that he doesn't heal. And I know he can, but he's chosen not to. And I'm super blessed because it is treatable, but I'll never be the same. And one of the things that God has been teaching me is that up until that point, I knew him as my Lord, I knew him as my redeemer, I knew him as my savior, I knew him as my provider, but I did not know him as sanctifier, and I did not know him as my sustainer. And it's been probably the most important lesson that cancer has taught me is like, what do you do with God when the God who's supposed to be the healer doesn't heal? 
and the God who's supposed to be the Savior doesn't save you out of this situation and what do you do with God when he doesn't provide what you think he should provide and I've realized that there's a deepness and a richness to a faith in a God who can sustain um, he's more than just a genie in the sky that I can just ask him to do what I want and he just does it he gets me through and he holds me and instead of taking me out of the valleys he carries me every step of the way and there's a verse that God has just been um, laying on my heart it's kind of in my life verse for the last couple years or a passage I guess you could say 2nd Corinthians 12 7 through 10 and Paul just talks about the thorn in his flesh and how he cried out to God three different times begging him to take away this thorn and and we don't really know what that thorn was whether it was physical or emotional or mental but God answers him every time and says my grace is sufficient and God has just been drawing me back to that truth that his grace is sufficient and the more that I lean into that grace the more that my weakness amplifies his grace in my life and the more that I allow my weakness to draw me into him the stronger I actually am. Can we thank Crystal for sharing her story today? Appreciate that. Uh, Crystal Garnett was on staff here at ACF for a couple of years, if you, didn't, if you didn't know. And until she and her husband, Jesse, they felt called to start a church in Bend, Oregon. So we have sent them out. They're currently there in Oregon. So Jesse, Crystal, if you guys are watching, we love you. Praying for you. Just hope everything's working out for you in Oregon. But we asked Crystal to share her story today because we're talking about the reality of unanswered prayer. The reality of unanswered prayer this morning, and as you just heard, Crystal has dealt with this in her life, and she asked a question that I think many of us have asked, if we're honest with ourselves. It's this, what do you do when the God who is supposed to be the healer doesn't heal? What do you do with that? So, by the way, my name's Mason Venhouse. I'm the worship director here, and this question's really important to me. This is an important question to me because I've dealt with this frustration of praying and after something again and again and just not seeing movement, seeing nothing happening, and starting to ask myself, what, what is the purpose of me praying here? In fact, for a time, I, I didn't really understand why we prayed, if I'm honest. Uh, you know, if, if God's good, he's all-powerful, he knows what he's going to do anyway, why am I involved in this process, right? Like, shouldn't he just, just go do what God's going to do, right? Why, why am I in the middle of this? I don't know if you've ever had those thoughts, but man, if you stay there for long enough and those, that frustration around unanswered prayer and doubts about what we're doing, they can start to spiral further, right? And I found myself here, I don't know if you have, but man, like, is God good? Is God really powerful enough to move in this situation? Does he care? Like, have you ever just asked him, like, God, are you ever, ever going to show up and like do something, <laughs> like for real? And uh, I, I found myself there about 10 years ago, it's about the furthest I ever walked away from my faith. Uh, it was 2013. I remember this moment. I remember thinking, I just don't think God cares about us, about me. I, th- I think we're on our own down here. I couldn't deny the reality of some sort of creator, some sort of higher power, but I just couldn't see that he was involved in the world or that he cared. And so that's where I was at for, for a season. And I, I, did, I started to walk my way out of that started walking my way out of that, and I, I, found, I found some answers. I found some, some tools, some, some mental resources that I want to share with you today that if you're in that place, 
of frustration or doubt around your, your prayers or, or so on, that you can fall back on these uh, in those moments of frustration. And, and my whole goal today is just to protect in your mind this belief that, that God is good. God is good. When your prayers aren't answered, it's, it's not because God isn't good, okay? He is good. There's other reasons why your prayers may not be answered, and we're going we're gonna to look at those. But I just want you to hold on to that with all you've got, okay? God is good. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you're trying to pray through today, I want to I wanna help protect that in your mind. So as we start to get into this, I, I, first I just even want to reframe how we think about prayer a little bit, at least like petitionary or, or intercessory prayer. This is where we're, we're asking things of God, all right? We're requesting things of God because I think this is how most of us think about prayer like that. We, we think, okay, we're down here. We submit our requests. God up in heaven, he reviews requests, says uh, yes, no, <laughs> heck no, right? According to his, his mysterious will, right? And it all, it's all very one-sided. It's very one-sided. And I, I just want to tweak that a little bit. It's not like totally wrong, but I think we're, we're missing a step. We're missing a step. So yes, we start with the reality that, that God is all-powerful. That is, he's, he's sovereign over his creation. That means ultimately nothing happens apart from his will. But, but here's the step. The step is that, uh, I believe this, I think we see in the scripture, is uh, that God is a power-sharing God. God is a power-sharing God. He delegates his authority to his creatures, to, to us. So you and I, we each have a certain realm of like God-given authority. We're, we have a little bit of independence, a little bit of autonomy in the universe, and so we get to decide if, we gotta, if we're going to align ourselves with God, go with his will, or resist him. And so that's, that's where we get the idea of, of free will. Brian was talking about this a couple weeks ago, that love requires free will. That's, that's caught up in this idea. So I think we see this all throughout Scripture, that God is a power-sharing God. He delegates authority. We see this right in the beginning in Genesis. He says, he makes man, he says, be fruitful, multiply, and, and have dominion. Have dominion. And what does that mean? That means I'm putting you in charge of this. I'm entrusting you with this. Take care of this for me. You're, you're in charge of the earth, okay? Have dominion over the earth. We see this in the life of Jesus, how he treats his followers and his disciples. At the Great Commission, he says this, this to them. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to be. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Right there, he's saying, I, I have all authority. And on that basis, I authorize you. I authorize you to go out and do the mission of the church, to go do what the church do, does, make disciples. So how, do we, how does this all relate to prayer? Well, this is what I want to put out there for your consideration, is that prayer is one of the ways we exercise our God-given authority in this world. This is the one, one of the ways God has authorized us to use our, our power and our influence. So when we pray, we are partnering with God's work in the world. We're not just passive recipients, we're active participants in what's happening, in what God is doing. As we align our wills with God's will, things start to happen. Things happen in the kingdom when we pray. Things get unleashed in the kingdom as we pray. I've, I've, heard, I've heard prayer ex- explained as like, a, like co-signing on a house or a car or something like that. If you've ever done this, it takes two signatures, right? Two parties have to agree for the document to be valid, for it to go through. I think God has set up prayer to be like this. He he set things up so that in certain situations, he's not going to intervene. He's not going to move if people don't partner with him. Now, now what I'm not saying is that God can't act on his own. Like, God can act unilaterally. We see that all throughout the Bible. He just does what he wants without talking to anybody, okay? But in some situations, he, he has limited himself. He says, I'm, I'm not going to move here unless people move 
with me, unless they partner with me. And I don't think this, this threatens God's omnipotence, again, because he set things up this way. This is his own choice. He wants a world where people freely choose to partner with him in his work. That's what he wants. So with that in mind, that picture in mind around prayer, I want to I face the question, why, why doesn't God answer our prayers? Why doesn't God answer our prayers? And, and how I want to go about answering this is, is give you like a, a set of, of factors, okay? Or, or if you're a nerd like me, you can think of these, uh, of these as variables in an equation, all right? All these like factors, they're all present or some or all of them may be present in any situation, okay? And they all have a certain amount of influence on how that prayer is answered, on the outcome of that prayer. And, and the key thing is that we, we rarely get to see like which factor is the reason, okay, that your prayer was answered or wasn't answered. We rarely get to see that here and now, but Scripture does lay these things out for us. Scripture will tell us, oh, in this situation, this was the reason. This was the reason this prayer was answered or was not answered. So I want to get, uh, present some of these factors to you. We're going to start out with, our first one here is, is God's will. God's will. Probably the most important factor we're going to look at, um, again, going back to the idea of co-signing, co-signing on a document. You have to ask yourself, does God want to put his signature next to mine here? Is he on board with what I'm asking? Because we know that's not always the case, and Scripture talks about this. And the book of James says, when you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So here, uh, James is saying, in this situation, people are praying with, with selfish or greedy motives, and God knows this. He doesn't want to encourage that character development in these people, so he's not on board. He's not going to grant that request. And I think we need to learn from that and a- ask ourselves, like honestly ask ourselves, what motivates us as we pray? Is there selfishness there? Is there greed? Is there ego or desire, just like pride or revenge, envy, resentment, all these things can motivate your prayers. And we need to honestly ask ourselves, is that what's going on as I pray for this thing? We also need to ask ourselves, like, is this good for me? Is what I'm asking for actually good for me? Is it good for others? Is this something that that God wants in the world? Because we know this, that sometimes the thing we want the most is exactly what will destroy us. Sometimes the things we want the most is exactly what will destroy us, like that job or promotion you're just chasing after, that career path you're trying to get on, maybe God knows that would crush you. That would break apart your family. Maybe it would erode your faith in God. It would actually take you away from him. So, so yeah, he's not on board with that plan or, or that romantic relationship that didn't work out, that you prayed so hard for, the one that got away. Everyone has the one that got away. I, maybe the one that got away got away for a reason, and the reason is they're a train wreck of chaos spiraling into abyss, and they were dragging you with them, and God's like, God's got your back. God is a great wingman, okay? I can testify to this in my own life, protecting me from some situations like this. So I think we get this. I think we get this. Um, of all the factors we're going to look at, this one is the easiest one to swallow. Like, parents in the room, you understand that Man, you can't just give your kids everything you ask them. That, it would kill them, okay? It would kill them. So what about, though, when what we're asking for is something just so clearly good and, and godly, God-honoring, um, it comes from a pure heart, as far as we can tell, like, like healing in, in Crystal's case. Like, why wouldn't God answer that? Well, let's, let's keep moving here. Another factor we see is the presence of faith. The presence or lack of faith is something we see in the Bible. It it has an influence. It conditions how prayers are answered. And, and I want to be really careful with this one. I want to be careful with the, this one because it can easily 
This can turn uh, manipulative and destructive and, and shameful. It can turn to victim blaming, right? If I say, oh, the reason you have cancer is you lack faith, right? Or <laughs> the, the reason grandma passed away was, well, you lack faith uh, when you prayed for her. That's the reason. I, please don't hear that from me. I don't want to heap shame on your situation or, or things you've gone through. If you've ever heard that in your life, I, w- I would be suspicious of that, okay? Because, like I said, we're rarely in a position to know, oh, this is the reason. This is the reason why your prayer wasn't answered. All right? But Scripture does talk about this as an important uh, factor in the equation, right, is the the lack or presence of faith. Uh, Jesus deals with this in his ministry on earth. There's a really interesting moment. He's in his hometown of Nazareth, and they do not roll out the red carpet for him. It's a very cold, cold reception. And he has this to say about it. He says, A prophet is not without honor, except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. He cannot do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. So get what's happening there. Jesus, who who we believe is God himself in the flesh, he could not do what he wanted to do in this situation because of the lack of faith of the people present. That speaks to that, that, that ability we have to resist God. We really can inhibit God and how he wants to move in situations. And it's also key to note here that, man, this is, not talk, he's not just talking about one individual lacks faith. This is a community that lacks faith. And so I think it's important for us to realize that we all inhabit a, a spiritual atmosphere. We're all part of a spiritual environment. We influence one another. My faith influences your faith, influences his faith. Like, we have influence on another. So when I say there's a lack of faith in your situation, that may not be you necessarily, like you as an individual. Maybe it's that spiritual environment you're within. But I think it is work, at, worth asking ourselves at an individual level, do I have faith in what I'm asking for? Have I really done the deep soul work of trusting in God? Because especially as Christians, it's, it's really easy to throw out prayers just uh, without really thinking about it, right? Just toss out prayers because this is what Christians do and we don't really look inside internally and ask ourselves, do I have faith in God to move in this? Am I really trusting in him in this situation? There's a moment in Jesus' ministry where he deals with someone's lack of faith. I find this story just so beautiful. There's a, there's a father and son. The son is, he's, he's demon-possessed. This, this demon will try to throw him into the water, throw him, to drown him, throw him into fire, to burn him. He's trying to kill his boy. And so the father takes him to Jesus, asks him to, to be healed. And this is what Jesus says to the father. He says, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And I realized as I was preparing this, I think this is my life verse. I think this is my life verse right here. Like, I see so much of myself in the father here I, because I'm a skeptical guy. And I, I've got some faith, but I have a lot of, of not faith too, Okay. And I often ask God, like, help me, help me walk through this. And what's amazing and what's hopeful in this story is that this father's admitted lack of faith is still enough for God to move. It's still enough for God to move in the situation. If you finish the story, he, he heals his son. And the demons cast out father and son are, are restored. And so that gives hope to me and any other skeptics in the room. I hope that gives you some hope that it really just does take the, the faith of a mustard seed. Okay, we're not talking about a complete lack of doubt, like, it just takes some faith for God to move in in situations, okay? So another one we see is the persistence of prayer. The persistence of prayer is is a factor in how how prayers can be answered. What I mean here is, man, how, how, how fervently, how urgently are you praying? Like, do you really want it? 
how long have you been praying? Are, are you really, are you trying? Because this actually, this actually matters. This actually matters. Scripture point this, points this out that how fervently we pray has an impact on how prayers are answered. It, you know, I, it's, to, the way to see this is to realize that uh, prayer is like your spiritual work. It's like spiritual labor. You are co-laboring with God as you pray. And so just like physical work, some things are harder than others. Some things are heavier than others. It's harder to bench press 200 pounds than it is 100 pounds. It's not, it's not that different in the spiritual realm. Some things are harder to move than others. And actually, that Mark 9 story we just looked at with the, the boy and the father, it, it speaks to this reality. Because the disciples had tried to cast out this demon and, and weren't able to. And so they come to the Jesus afterwards and say, how, how come you were able to do this and, and we weren't? And Jesus tells them, uh, tells them this, this kind only comes out through prayer and fasting. In other words, he's telling these guys, like, in order to do an exorcism, it, it takes some serious prep work. You have to put in some serious effort if you're going to be able to do this. So some things are harder than others in the spiritual world. In fact, some things may be so heavy that you need help lifting them. And that leads us to our next factor, which is this, the number of people praying. The number of people praying, again, it has, it has an impact. It has an influence on how prayers are answered. Again, just like the physical world, some things may be too heavy for you to lift on your own. Uh, have you ever been under, like, that bench press, and you've gone for a little too much weight? And it comes down, and you try to go back up, and it's not working, and you're, like, choking yourself out, and then people have to rescue you? No, just, just me. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. Uh, the, the point is, some, some burdens are too heavy for you to lift on your own, Okay. Uh, and this, we see this throughout Scripture, that pe- groups of people will come together to pray and to lift up needs. Um, Matthew 18, Jesus speaks to this principle. He says this, again, Truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. So Jesus is speaking to this principle that like, things happen when we come together in unity in prayer. As we align our wills, with each other, and also with what God wants to do in the world, like, things really start to happen. Things can move as we pray with one another. This is, we see this all throughout the Bible, groups of people coming together to pray. In the early church, it, it happens in the book of Acts. The church will come together to pray, and miraculous things will happen. That's actually what happens at, at Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit descends, there's a group of people praying in the upper room. If you look at church history, many revivals, they're preceded by a small group of people that have been praying for God to move. This is why we, we have a prayer point every week. We just prayed for, for Aiden here this week because uh, we're trying to lean into this principle and, and honor this that, no, there's something powerful that can happen when we come together in unity as, as a church and lift up a need. So we're trying to grow into that. So the number of people praying matters. Uh, another pr- factor we see is the presence of sin in your life. The presence of sin can, can have an impact on, uh, on the outcome of your prayer. And, and again, I want to be I want to be really careful here. I want to be careful here because this, this also can be shameful stuff, right? It can turn to victim blaming if, if I say, oh, the reason you, know, you have cancer is because of this, this sin in your life, right? And, and it's, not a, it's not a one-to-one thing like this. It's, it's more complicated. It's not, you know, this sin equals eh, this prayer request denied. It's, it's a little more complicated than that because here's the reality. If, if the mere presence of sin in your life um, you know, negated any prayer requests you might have, we should expect no prayers to be answered. None. Because we all have sin in our lives. We all have sin in our lives still, right? But that's, that's not the reality. We do see prayers get answered. 
We, we not, in our own lives, we see that in Scripture. There's plenty of sinful people that are praying for things. They pray for things, and, and God will answer them. So it's, it's a little more nuanced than that, right? That's just, there's, there's a sin, and eh, that means no prayers answered, right? But there is, there is some sort of relationship between your behavior, how you act, and your prayer life, the outcomes of your prayer. The Scripture does talk about this, that there's, there's relationship there. So we, we see this a lot in the Bible. One passage that talks about this is 1 Peter 3. It says, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives, and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Interesting to note that right there. Nothing will hinder your prayers. He's saying there's a relationship between you as husbands, how you, you love and treat your wife. There's a relationship there between how your prayers are heard and how they may be responded to. So, again, the presence of sin in your life can, can have an influence on your, on your prayers. And uh, I think the key to, like, getting this and to seeing it correctly is not to see it legalistically, right? Like, again, one, one sin equals no prayer request. Um, it, the way to see it is uh, relationally. The way to see it is relationally. So, so say you and I, we have, we have a fight. We have a blow-up. We're not cool. You've offended me in some way. We can't resolve it. And a couple days later couple days go by, you, you call me up and say, hey man, can I borrow your car for the, the thing? You don't even address what's happened between us. How am I going to respond in that situation? I'm probably going to say no. No, we're not, we're not cool. We, we, we have to need to figure out this relationship. We need to fix the relationship before I handle your request, all right? Actually, it's, it's insulting to our relationship that you would just ignore this and just ask for something, right? I don't think it's that different in our relationship with God. I don't think it's that different. And here's the thing. God is so gracious to us, and he overlooks so, so much of our sin. We're, you know, if you're a Christian, you're on this process of sanctification, being gradually made holier and holier. And I think he just reveals sin just a little bit at a time, as much as we can handle. But here's the thing, and I, I believe this, that if God has been convicting you of something, he's brought it to your attention multiple times, and you know you're just not dealing with it. You know you're not dealing with it. You haven't truly repented that, that could be something between you and God. That could be impacting your prayers, and it's worth taking a look at. So the presence of sin uh, is, is an important factor in how prayers are answered. Another one we see is this, is, is spiritual conflict. Spiritual conflict or, or spiritual warfare is how some people talk about this. And this is the reality that the Bible teaches, is that there are other spiritual powers in the universe, again, created by God, but much like us, they, they have a certain amount of God-given authority, and they can choose to obey him or, and to, or to resist him. And so there are these spiritual powers that are resisting God. The Bible will talk about them as principalities, powers, angels, demons. Satan himself is considered to be one of these things, a spiritual power that's resisting God. And they can really influence how things uh, come out in the world, the outcomes in the world. And so we can go way down the theological rabbit hole on this question. We don't have a too, too much time to do that today, but I want to give us a quick, a, a, a quick, <laughs> quick peek behind the curtain on what's going on in some of the, the spiritual realm. And there's a really interesting moment in the book of Daniel, in the book of Daniel, uh, where we get to see this little peek behind the curtain. And so, so Daniel's a prophet in Persia. He's a prophet in Persia, and he receives this vision that just terrifies him, horrifies him. He can't, he can't make any sense of it, and so he starts praying. God, would you explain this vision to me? He prays and he fasts for three weeks, and nothing happens. At the end of three weeks, though, an angel shows up to him, and they have this very intriguing conversation. angel says this to him, Do not be afraid, Daniel, 
For from the first day that you purposed to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. However, the prince of the kingdom of Persia opposed me for 21 days, three weeks. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left there with the kings of Persia. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision concerns those days. So what the heck do we just read there? It's a wild passage. It's a wild passage, but the angel saying to Daniel, look, your prayers were heard. As soon as you prayed, your prayers were heard, which should be comforting to us. should be comforting to us that whenever you pray, even if you don't see movement, you don't see things happen, God does hear your prayers, okay? But the angel says, look, I was sent in response to your prayer three weeks ago. But what happened? He was held up. He ran to this thing, the prince of Persia, and the context, the context makes clear this isn't some sort of human ruler. This is a spiritual power resisting God and resisting how this prayer is being answered. And it gets, it gets really interesting there. They, get, they call in this other angel, Michael, to like flank the prince of Persia. And he's able to break through and get, and get to Daniel. So some like weird tactics around spiritual warfare going on. But it's just, uh, I think it's important for us to realize we probably underestimate the amount of spiritual conflict and spiritual warfare going around, uh, around us. Again, especially here in, in the West, in the modern West, we, this is hard for us to swallow, right? I'll, it even is for me sometimes. I'll admit it. Like angels, demons, really? We still believe in this stuff. And, and the, we just, we're a materialistic culture. We trust what we can see, what we can test in the lab, what we can put our hands on. And just a quick response to that, I think, is, is to realize, if you look at, man, all human cultures throughout history, and even in our own day, most of them, this is how they see the world. This is how they see the world. This is a standard way of seeing things. That Yes, there's angels, demons, spiritual powers in conflict, things happening behind the scenes that we don't get to see. That's, that's a very standard way of seeing things. We're, in the modern West, we're kind of the oddballs for not seeing it that way. So that's something you can, you can chew on if you're wrestling with that. But I think it's really helpful to understand this idea of spiritual warfare because too often, I think, when our prayers aren't answered— we don't see God moving. We, we either blame God or we blame ourselves, right? It, it's God's fault. He doesn't care. He's cruel. He's indifferent. Or, or it's my fault. I, I failed in some way. I, I lack faith. I have sin in my life. And like we've talked about, that can be a factor, all right? But sometimes it's not the case. It's not God's fault. It's not your fault. There's something else out here. There's a third option. There's something else that's resisting God and resisting your prayers and how they may be answered. And so I... I I found that to be freeing when I first really realized that. Again, that maybe, maybe this isn't my fault, and maybe God is moving. It's, I think it's in freeing a little bit and can free you from some shame, depending on your situation, if you feel like God hasn't worked in your life. Also, also I think this should encourage us to pray even more, to pray even more, to realize that God's in a battle. We believe that he's, he's won the war, but he's fighting a real battle. And, and guess what? You are too. You are in the battle as well. Whether you acknowledge it or not, you like it or not, you are in a battle as well. You are fighting. So I hope that encourages you to pray even more, to lean into that battle, into that fight. So spiritual conflict, that's a a huge factor in Scripture we see. Another one, the last one I want to look at is this, is that God may be working a larger plan. God may be working a larger plan. What I mean there is that God may be allowing a suffering or some evil in your life in order to bring about a greater good. This is kind of where Crystal got to in her, in her testimony that she shared. She, she mentions this story from 2 Corinthians that Paul she prays to, that this thorn in the flesh would be removed three times. And God says, says, no, 
I have something for you to learn in the midst of this trial. In the midst of the struggle, I have something for you to learn. I think the, the most, maybe one of the most powerful examples of this is Joseph in the Old Testament. If you don't know the story of Joseph, he, he's sold into slavery by his brothers. He's betrayed by them. He, he's, in, he's in Egypt as a slave, goes through all sorts of struggle there, but rises up to be head of the government in Egypt, and he's actually able to save his brothers, save his whole family and a whole lot of other people from a famine. And this is what he has to say at the end of that. At the end of that narrative, he says, As for you, you, may, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. That line, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, it is so key, guys. This is such a key motif or, or theme in Scripture. We see this over and over again, is that, is that God will take the evil choices of humans, of angels, of whatever, and he flips them on their head. He flips them on their head and uses them for his own good. This is like God's signature move, okay, in the Bible. We see it over and over again, and the ultimate example of this is at the cross. It's at the crucifixion of Jesus himself, because what the enemy thought would be his greatest victory turned out to be his greatest defeat at Jesus' crucifixion, right? And what looked like God's greatest defeat, the loss of his own son, turns out to be his greatest victory with the resurrection of Jesus. He takes the evil they had intended and flips it on his head for his own good. And this is one of my favorite passages in, in like the whole Bible. It speaks to this moment. It says this in 1 Corinthians. None of the rulers of this age understood it, talking about the crucifixion of Jesus. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. See what he's saying there? He's saying that the rulers of this age refers to, again, these spiritual powers and resistance to God. They didn't understand what God was working behind the scenes. They thought, oh, we have a chance to inflict harm. We're going to kill God's own son. If they had known what God was working behind the scenes with the resurrection, they, they wouldn't have done it. They wouldn't have done what they did at the crucifixion. I find that so interesting to think about. And get this too, uh, Jesus's arrival as the Messiah was itself a long-awaited, unanswered prayer. The, the Jews and the Israelite people, they've been praying for centuries, for millennia really, for a Messiah to come. And Jesus is so much more than what they had prayed for. Jesus is so much more than what they had prayed for. They were hoping for like a political military leader to come pull the nation together, get him back on top. Instead, what did they get? They got God himself in the flesh, redeeming all of humanity to himself, all of creation to himself, not just the Jews, the entire world. They got something so much more than they prayed for. And I think this is something for us to remember is that sometimes God doesn't answer your prayer because it's too small. Sometimes God doesn't answer your prayer because it's just too small. And if you could see what he was working behind the scenes, man, you, you'd understand, you'd understand why your prayer hasn't gone answered or has gone unanswered. So I hope some of these can help you as you're dealing with frustration around unanswered prayer or, or doubts about what is the point of prayer? Does, does God care about my situation? I hope you can lean on these and fall back on these in those moments of doubt. Uh, but as we wrap up, I just want to share a, a moment in my life of, of answered prayer when I felt like God moved in my life in a very unexpected and, and surprising way. So, so I became a dad two years ago. Um, my wife and I, we had a little daughter named Winter, and her name is really important to the story. So Winter, like the season, and uh, yeah, she was born on September 20th, 
Uh, about an hour before midnight, I remember this, my wife's about to give birth, the, the thing is happening, right? And it started snowing outside. Like, kind of like half, half rain, half snow, kind of sleet. It didn't really stick, but we, we still, we were kind of stoked. Like, that's cute. That's a cute birthing story, you know, winter and snowing on her birthday. We didn't think much of it at the time. And uh, we're in the hospital for a few more days, and, and things started to take a turn. Things took a turn. Uh, there was a spot of skin on uh, my daughter's back. It just it didn't look quite right. And doctors weren't concerned about it, but they did some imaging on it. And, and yeah, I'll, ne- I'll never forget it. The doctor comes in the room and says, uh, your daughter has spina bifida. Daughter has spina bifida. And that is hit like a knife to the chest. Um, this is every parent's worst nightmare, right? And, and we're wondering... You know, what does this mean? Is she going to die? Is, is she disabled? How disabled? Like, how bad is this going to be? And, and we're, we're just, we're terrified. We're heartbroken. We're crushed. But, but we started praying. We did start praying, and, and it was not pretty. <laughs> These are not pretty prayers. Uh, we're talking just ugly crying, bent over on the floor in agony, just pouring our guts out kind of prayers. I, w- I was like cycling through all the stages of grief, simultaneously. There's like, there's denial, anger, a lot of anger, uh, guilt, blaming myself. This is my fault somehow, right? Uh, Bargaining, bargaining. I especially remember the bargaining with God. Man, I was making him some offers I thought he could not refuse, okay? But really, I was writing checks I I could not cash, all the classic stuff, right? Like, I'll never do this again. I'll only do this again. I'll give away all my money. You can send me to Africa or Mars or the moon, wherever. Can, can, Can I die in her place? Like, please, if, if I, me dying would fix this, I'm, I'm down. Like, this is how insane I was, I was thinking at that moment. I remember praying, like, God, if there's a crime you want me to do, like some sort of felony that would, like, fix this situation, like, I know you probably don't want that. That's not your style. But I just want to say, nothing's off the table, okay? Like, nothing is off the table. And uh, we were just, we were a mess. I was a mess. And uh, I just share all that to say, like, there's not a wrong way to pray. Like, just pour it out there, wherever you're at at the moment, whatever you're feeling, like, he can take it. He wants that from you. So don't be, don't worry, don't worry about making it pretty and formal and organized, okay? So, so we're in the hospital, we're, we're ugly praying, but we got other people praying too. And, and ACF Church, you guys were, were awesome for us in this moment. Um, I remember Brian sent me a video of some of the staff and our worship team were, were praying up in our green room, just people, knees on the floor, just pouring their hearts out for us, and I so appreciated that in that moment, but uh, the doctors come back to us, and they say, she's going to need a surgery. She's going to need a surgery in that, on that, that spot of skin there. They got nerves where they shouldn't be. They need to separate them, so there's not further damage down the line, so, so now we have a four-year-old, or four-day-old infant uh, going under full anesthesia for surgery, and again, we're just, we're terrified. This is scary stuff. And the doctors are confident, you know, this, this will work out, but things could go wrong. They're, they're, you know, they're being honest with us about that. So we're in the hospital. I think we have a picture of that uh, here. That's us. And uh, yeah, I kind of hate that picture, but that, uh, that's where we were at. That's where we were at in that moment. And I'll, her surgery set for September 24th. And I'll, yeah, I'll never forget it. They rolled this cart in there and, um, yeah, they get her all wired up and uh, plugged in, <laughs> get her all tubes connected and 
get her prepped for surgery, and we said goodbye, and they just wheeled her out of the room. I was like, was that, was that it? We had four days with my, my girl, and I, I wasn't sure I was going to see my daughter again, or at least not healthy and, and whole. It's a tough moment. But meanwhile, church family, you guys were, you guys were awesome, and, and some of you had got together, and you're going to drive into Providence Hospital and, and pray outside the hospital during the surgery and for us. And uh, here's, the, here's the thing. Uh, they had a very rough drive-in that morning because September 24th, 2021, we got a snowstorm in Anchorage, Alaska. <laughs> I'm talking like a full-on blizzard, way worse than what's happening right now. September 24th. You might remember this because you might have been on the highway cursing Alaska and asking like, why, God, why is it snowing in September? And uh, man, my wife and I, we just received that snowstorm like a, like a hand on the shoulder from our father saying, winter's going to be fine. Winter's going to be just fine. And she was. And she was. She is totally fine to this day. Yeah, praise God. Um, She's had zero impact from her her condition uh, up up, up to now. She's two years old. um, So we're hoping that continues forward. But yeah, I, uh, this is something I fall back on. When my skepticism starts to get the better of me, when my doubts get the better of me, I'm wondering why I'm praying. Is God ever going to do anything? I remember no, no one time God gave me a snowstorm. One time he gave me a snowstorm. And I, I get it. This may not sound convincing to you. Uh, if you're in the seat, I'm a skeptical guy. If I was in your seat, I know what I'd be saying. I'd be saying, look, coincidences do happen. It does snow in Alaska in September sometimes, unfortunately. I, I really, I get that perspective. I really do. But man, you live on the inside of that story and it hits a little different. It hits a little different. So I, I just share that to encourage you. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what situation you're praying through right now, but man, keep holding on to your faith that God is good. God is good. And there's, if your prayers aren't answered, there's other reasons. It's not because God isn't good. God is good. There's other reasons we can look at about why your prayers aren't being answered and just why unfortunate things may be happening in your life. But man, just hold on to that belief that God is good. That's all I got time for today, guys. But would you, would you stand up and, and let me pray for you today? Father, we, just, we thank you that you are good. God, we just lean into that, that belief, God. I pray people can just rest in the reality of your presence and your goodness, even just here this morning, God. Pray for doubts and fears and anxieties just to dissipate. That your love would be here with us, right here, right now. God, we just rest in your goodness. God, thank you so much for for this church here and, and the ways it's just blessed my life and the lives of so many others, God. And I pray for anybody here that feels alone in the struggle, that they would have that courage to, to reach out today and, and to find hope, to find connection, God. Thanks so much for everything you are doing. In the name of your, the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen.